Today we are covering Luke 11, verses 27 through 36, where Jesus interacts with a very dense crowd that has seen him do a miracle. He has delivered a man from a demon who had caused him to be mute. And afterwards, the person that had been mute spoke. And the Bible says, the crowds marveled. Now, this wasn't the only miracle Jesus did. Jesus, up to this point, has risen two people from the dead, fed 5,000, calmed the wind and the waves, healed lepers, healed the blind, healed a man who was born blind. So the news of all of these miracles has been traveling during his ministry, and the crowd responds in three ways. Number one, they marvel. Number two, they say that he cast out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. So they see the evidence for him being the Messiah. And remember, we pointed out last week that in the, all of the Old Testament, there's not one person possessed that gets delivered. So Jesus is doing something unique as the Messiah in delivering these people. And Jesus goes on to talk to them about the, the stronger than the strong man. The strong man is Satan. He's stronger than all of us. And if you want to plunder a strong man's good, you got to get someone stronger. So if you have any kind of demonic stuff going on now, if you by any means feel that there's something demonic going on in your life, then call out upon the stronger. The demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Call out on the stronger than the strong man. He can bind him and he can take his goods. He can stop him from harassing you. And we talked about that last week. So now... After Jesus gives us some information about the demonic realm, he then turns his attention back to the crowds. So there's been somewhat of a gap here. As he turns his attention back to the crowds, he is going to correct them on three misconceptions. Now, I have five common misconceptions that I planned at the end of the study. If I had time, I don't have time. So I'm going to save them for another time. We'll talk about those five common misconceptions in our day. But they have three misconceptions that we're going to look at. And they're common today as well. So the first thing that Jesus corrects them on is the person that is truly blessed. There's a person in the, the crowd that thinks a blessing is one thing. And Jesus says, yes, that person's blessed. But more blessed is this person. And shows us how we can truly be blessed. And when we talk about being blessed, we're not just talking about you know, I'm blessed because I have money and I have a new car and I got a nice house and I don't have to worry about tomorrow. There's a lot of people that have all that stuff and they're absolutely miserable and we would never say that they are blessed. We're talking about real, genuine blessings that come from God. There's a person that could have very little, but because things are right between them and God and because God's using them and, and dwells in them, they are blessed more so than many people that have many more things. So he's going to talk about what makes a person truly blessed and the misconception that we might have about what blessings are. Number two, he's going to talk about what should you be seeking? What should you be seeking? The way you seek. Are, are you seeking him diligently? The Bible says in, in Hebrews 11 that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Some people are passively seeking him. You're like, well, I seek Jesus. I mean, I'm here today, you know. I'm sleeping half the time, but I'm here. Well, that's passively seeking him, not diligently. The, the Bible says you will find him when you search for him, if you search for him with all of your heart. 
That's what God wants from us. He wants there to be that, that diligence. The third area that he's going to talk about is having the proper insight. He's going to compare those to eyes. He's going to say, you have eyes of insight. And you're looking at the evidence. They were looking at all the evidence and coming up with one conclusion. He does it by Beelzebub. Give us a sign, the crowd say. And so their insight is bad. They have, they have a bad eye of insight. Do you have a good one? It, it, God's given us evidence for his existence, evidence for the scriptures. P people will say to me, why the Bible over other religious books? Because there's nothing like the Bible. There's no other religious book that's like the Bible. It is historically accurate, geographically accurate, archaeologically accurate. And the more they discover in history and in archaeology, the more they find the Bible is accurate. They used to claim that the Bible was written during the days of, when, of the Babylonian captivity to give Israel a motivation to get back into the land. But they discovered stones like the Moabite stone which gives the Moabite account of something that happened in the book of Kings. So we know it was history. It wasn't made up by someone. Now, they, they don't, in the Moabite stone, in the Sennacherib cylinder, which is, uh, was discovered in Nineveh, which tells a, a story of them going and taking Israel captive. They don't tell the same exact story. And we're not saying that. But they're giving the account of it happening from their perspective. And that's very powerful historically. And so when people look at the evidence, some people go, ah, that doesn't impress me. You're, you're, there's something wrong with your insight. If you can't at least go, there's something pretty amazing about the scriptures. And, and maybe what Jesus would say would cause you to go, well, maybe I ought to again look at the evidence. Maybe with a little bit of honesty and a little bit of an open heart. I mean, at least look at it. Because you don't want to be wrong. Not about this. All right, so we'll talk more about that when we get to it. All right, I actually got into it a little bit there, so we'll, we'll, we'll backtrack. Okay, so let's look first of all at the person that's truly blessed. So the, the crowds have said, we want a sign. You cast out a demon by Beelzebub, and he'd just given them a sign, right? And so then a woman cries out from the crowd, verse 27, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman... From, uh, from the crowd, raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. So talking about Mary. B blessed is her. It's, it's, it's just like a mother to go, Man, what it must have been like to have you as a child. She's so blessed. And in reality, yes. And Jesus is going to say that. His first response is more than that. She's not going to argue with her that Mary isn't blessed. I mean, really, as a young woman, could there be any greater call than to bear supernaturally the Messiah, to give birth and to raise a perfect child? Is there any other greater blessing? You know, she, it said twice, um, one time when the angel came to her, this was the greeting of the angel that was going to tell her that she was going to bear the Messiah. He said, and this is in Luke 1, 42, Blessed are you among women. Oh, excuse me. He said, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And the Bible says that she was troubled at his saying, which I find remarkable. She's not troubled at an angel being there. She's not like, ah, an angel. She's like, why did he say that? 
Why did he say I was highly favored? Why did he say that I am blessed among women? And then when she goes to see Elizabeth, who is six months, at least six months pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary shows up, here's what Elizabeth says. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And I think that we could, we could admit to that. And we could say that Mary holds a very, very important place in the work. But she was also told on the day she dedicated Jesus that a sword was going to pierce her, her soul. And that was the crucifixion. She would see this child that she bore and raised crucified. She would be there. And how hard that would be. There's great responsibility and a great blessing, but also this great struggle that would come into her life. Now, there are those that lift Mary up beyond what the Bible does. And, and you may be here. You may genuinely have a faith in Christ and you may believe the traditions that say that she is a co-redemptress. You just need to know that when it comes to redemption, things like redemption, this is extremely important. And the Bible never says she's a co-redeemer. Uh, in, in some churches in Mexico, they take that co-redemptress so far that on one side of the cross, they'll have Jesus. On the other side of the cross, they'll have Mary. That she was involved in redeeming the world when the Bible never says that. There are those who will pray to Mary. And I realize when I say that, some people will argue with me and say, we don't pray to Mary. We ask her to pray for us. But how do you ask her? What are you doing when you ask Mary to pray for you? I, I kind of think that's prayer. So I kind of think you're, you're landing on a semantic. And how is it that they come to those beliefs? Because they put, we have different authorities. If you believe Mary's a co-redemptress, if you believe that she was born perfect without sin, which the Bible never says, if you believe that, that you're supposed to ask her to pray for you, then you're putting authority into tradition, to church tradition. And we are not. We're putting authority in the Bible. Now, if you, I'm just asking you to consider these things, all right? you can very well have a relationship with Christ and believe these things. It's not what you believe that is wrong that will keep you out of heaven. It's not knowing Jesus Christ that will keep you out of heaven. But I'm just asking you to be open about this. Listen to Jesus' response. He could have said, yes, she's, she's, she's amazing and, 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 and she's a woman that's above anybody else. And, and he, could have really, he could have done that. He did that with John the Baptist. Of all the prophets that were born, there was none like John the Baptist. He could have said, of all the women ever born, there was none. Like, he didn't do that. I'm not saying she wasn't amazing. Okay, because I think she was. I'm just saying his response is, is, is interesting. It's as if he's anticipating the way that people put things on Mary that, that aren't true. So he, he responds and, and he says, um, more than that. So yes, she's blessed. He, he admits. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. There's another time when his mother and brother come to him. They want to see him. And they come to him and they say, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers, but those who hear the word of God and keep it. So he makes that point twice. So he's saying that if you can, and here we are hearing the word of God. You guys are hearing me read and give a context and explain the word of God. The second part to it is if you obey it, if you do it. There are those who just hear and don't do, and it doesn't do any good. But you are really truly blessed if you hear and do what is in the word of God. I, um, 
the Bible tells us that Scripture is all we need. That doesn't mean that there's not help with someone that, doesn't, that might give you some philosophy that's outside of Scripture. I would never tell you that I've never heard anything that didn't help me outside of Scripture. I would never say that because I've had plenty of things that I've heard people say that aren't in the Scripture that help me. But I don't need it. There's a difference beside between what could help me and what I need. And so 2 Timothy 3.16, very easy to remember because of John 3.16, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, correction, and doctrine that the man of God, meaning the generic sense, right? It's not just men that are helped by it, but men and women, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped lacking in nothing. If you build your faith around the scriptures, you are thoroughly equipped and you are lacking nothing. There may be some philosophy, human philosophy that might help you, but it, you, you don't need it. You have everything that you need. And that is never said about tradition. Paul said in one point, keep the traditions that I've given you. Doesn't tell us what those traditions are. We assume they're biblical, but we're told to keep the word of God. Never told to keep traditions. So I, I just want to put that out there. And, and for us, now coming just to how we want to receive this, we're truly blessed if we keep the Word of God. If you study it, if you know it, if you learn it, if you memorize it, you are going to be blessed. Listen to what Psalms 1 says about the person who meditates on the Word of God, the law of God. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Some people take advice from the ungodly. I've been having a lot of questions lately about psychics and mediums. And I just want to make a stand on that. It is wrong for a Christian to go to a psychic and medium. It's just wrong. You should not be putting your trust for what your future could hold on, I could get really critical here, on, on someone with parlor tricks, you know? Someone who is trying to impress you with whatever. If you've seen magicians, especially mental magicians, you know there's some amazing things that these guys can do. But it's tricks. And even if they're not tricks, we stay away from it because our future is in God. Right? And so we're not supposed to, to listen to the, the advice of the ungodly. But then he says this, but his delight, this is the blessed man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He thinks about it in the daytime. He, he meditates on it at night. You, when you wake up at three in the morning, you can't go back to sleep. What's the best thing to do? Get up and find something on TV to watch? No. Begin to go over scriptures in your mind. By the way, anybody wake up at three in the morning? Just wondering. Yeah, me too. I was awake at three in the morning last night. I was just like in bed at three in the morning. I'm just like, I don't know what I should do. Maybe I should get up. I got four hours before I'm supposed to get up, but I could get up. Actually, three and a half hours, but still. Um, so I try to meditate on scripture. Just take passages I memorize and know. Let them come to my mind and then really think them through. Maybe you'll gain more insight. So he says, uh, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And then it says this about this person who does it. Uh, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaves also shall not wither and whatever he does will prosper. Then it goes on to say the ungodly are not so. So you'll be, you'll be established. A tree by the rivers of water is established. A tree that doesn't have a good water source is not established. Condi right conditions it could blow over, right conditions it could die because it's not established. God wants to establish you 
and by the word of God will be blessed and will be established. Okay? So that's the first misconception that he deals with. Is that someone thinks it's a, the greater blessing to be used like Mary, and Jesus says no. Yes, he says yes. But more so are those uh, who, uh, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Which is pretty amazing. More than that. If you're hearing God's word and keeping it, it's more than, than the blessing that Mary had. That ought to just blow our minds. That's like a, a wow moment. That's like, okay, then I really want to find, learn God's word and I really want to obey it. The, the second is what should you be seeking? How should you respond to the evidence that you've been given? In verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, so they're very dense, he began to say, this is an evil generation. What a statement, by the way. What a statement to say to a crowd who could get uppity and mad at you because you call them evil. This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. The reason they were evil is because they were seeking a sign. When he had already given them all kinds of signs, He's doing miracles in front of them. He just delivered a man from a demon and a guy who was, they knew was mute spoke and they're like, give us a sign. And he's like, you're evil. And I think I could cross that over to people today who say, I want a sign. I, I don't believe the Bible. I want a sign. I've had people tell me, if I see my name written in heaven, then I'll believe. I think if we walked outside and his name was written in heaven, he still wouldn't have believed. I think I would go, you knew I was going to say that. Something. There are people who will reject any supernatural evidence on the, on the basis that it's supernatural. They'll say this. This is begging the question. This is what begging the question really means. Every so often you hear somebody say, that begs the question, then they'll ask a question. That's not begging the question. That's asking a question. Begging the question is circular reasoning. If I tell you, we should believe the Bible because the Bible is, is the, the Word of God. That's begging the question. I'm telling you that because it's God's Word, we should trust God's Word. I'm not giving you the evidence for why we should trust God's Word. When you're begging the question, you've got circular reasoning. Uh, so this is their, their begging the question. They say, um, supernatural can't happen, so nothing supernatural can be true. Well, you're begging the question. You have not made the case for the fact that the supernatural doesn't happen. You just assume it doesn't happen. You believe it doesn't happen. Therefore, you're not going to accept anything supernatural. But the crazy thing is you put yourself in a place where you can't believe anything supernatural because it's supernatural, right? It's, your, it's a problem you create for yourself. If the supernatural is true, then you got to start looking into the supernatural. And, and here's where we talk about near-death experiences, and I won't do that again. We talked about it recently, but here's where we start to talk about that. And also the rest of the evidence in Scripture. So, I had said that this is unlike anything else, right? Any other religious book that's out there. It is historically accurate in an amazing way. It's an ancient book that we continue to find other historical accounts that back up what's here. And it has been criticized since the 1800s as being inaccurate, only to have that rolled back and rolled back and rolled back time and time again, because it is accurate. And if you don't believe that, then research it. Go and see. And don't just, don't just go and try to find something that's inaccurate. Look at the areas in which it's accurate and weigh the evidence. It's like when you have a disagreement with someone, and, and this happens a lot. 
And, and they go, well, I'm going to look it up. And they look it up and then they show you what they say. You know what I ask them? The first thing I ask somebody when they do that, how many, how many websites did you look at until you got your answer? In other words, they're just looking for their answer, right? They're not really wanting the real evidence. They're just like, they just want to prove you wrong. So I, I'd made the, um, remember the song, um, I, what is it? I Shot the Sheriff, I think that's the name of it, by Bob Marley. I'd made a reference that Bob, you know, about Bob Marley's song. And so he said, you know, it's not Bob Marley. And I go, yeah, it is. They go, no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. No, no, it's not. And I, yeah, it is. So then they look it up. And then they come back and they go, Eric Clapton, they show me. How many, how many we, uh, websites did you have to go to to find out Eric Clapton covered Bob Marley's song, I Got the Sheriff? <laughs> and that's the way people do the Bible. They'll go find something that's problematic, and I'm not saying there's not problematic areas, but they'll go find something that's problematic, and they ignore all the things that aren't. They ignore all the other evidence that's there, and they point out the problematic area and go, see, you can't trust it. And my question to you is, if I can answer that problematic area, will you then believe? Or will you just go to another problematic area? Not only is the Bible accurate historically, it's, accurately, it's accurate geographically, it's accurate scientifically. It's not even a scientific book. But when it ventures into the realm of science, someone mocked the Bible one time because it says that it talks about the sun rising. Well, you have to mock every person for that. It's not really a sunrise. The Bible is so wrong, it's actually an earth turning that causes the sun to come up. Just give me some of shuddy. <laughs> don't put standards on the Bible you don't put on your neighbor, right? Where your neighbor says things. So they'll point out scientific inaccuracies and they're just areas where people are seeing things from their perspective. But the, when the Bible really does venture into hydrology, which it does, it says the rain goes back up into the sky. This is before they knew about evaporation. The rain goes back into the sky, falls on the mountains and returns to the sea. It's a pretty basic definition of, of how hydrology works on the earth. It's basic, but it's the truth. It is also accurate prophetically. It tells the future. And this is God's calling card. God in Isaiah says, I am God and there is no one like me. Telling the end from the beginning, I tell you the things that happen before they happen. Now, a lot of people go, well, I don't care about that. So you have some prophecy that came true about Tyre and Alexander the Great. I don't care about that. It doesn't impress me. And I, and I think, well, then you're rejecting the evidence God gave you. You're no different than this crowd that rejected the evidence of the demon man that being delivered and saying it does, it's not enough, give me a sign. You're rejecting the evidence to ask for further evidence. And so he says, um, this is an evil generation. And what I'm saying is, is that's an evil thing to do, okay? I'm not saying you're more evil than anybody else. I'm just saying that's, it's, that's an evil thing to do when you reject the evidence God has given you to try to look for other evidence. And then he says, and no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah the prophet for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Now here he's not talking about three days and three nights. He's not talking about the resurrection. He talks about that in another place. He's simply saying, as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, the Son of Man is assigned to you. Now, Jonah was quite assigned to the Ninevites. And he's a problem prophet, by the way. God says, go to Nineveh. He gets in a boat and goes opposite direction because he's racist. He hates the Ninevites. And so he ends up getting swallowed by a giant fish, right? And he's in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And the acids of the stomach 
would have ate away at his clothes, bleached his skin, caused his hair to, to fall out, patchy at least. And then he's thrown up on the shore, crawls out of the fish throw up, walks to the people in Nineveh and says, repent, 40 days you're gonna be destroyed. And one comedian said, what would you do? I'd repent. <laughs> I saw that guy saying to me. And then Jonah wants to, wants to watch them destroyed. He's mad because they're not destroyed. And at the end of the book, God says to him, there are 120,000 in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left. That's children. Children that are not, they haven't reached what we would call the age of accountability yet. An age of accountability might not be a good term because children mature at different levels. So I don't know if it's an age of accountability or a point where they know they're right from their left. They're able to make decisions. And there was a time when I really wondered about the age of accountability. Like maybe it's just something that fits in too well to answer the question of what happens to children that die somewhere else that don't have the opportunity to give their lives to Christ. But surprisingly, there's some really powerful biblical evidence about it. And we've done studies on it before. And you can look, we have a, a hot topic on it called the age of accountability. It just got released. You can go look at that. There's some really incredible biblical evidence to it that God, and, and I'm not saying these kids are not saved through Jesus Christ. Just like Abraham didn't know the name Jesus, but it was accounted to him as righteousness. He got saved, account, it was accounted to him. The work Jesus did on the cross was given to him in credit. So the same thing is true with these kids that, that never hear the name of Jesus. It is through the death of Jesus that they are saved, but they've never heard the evidence. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here as we move on. But Jonah is a sign. He's a, he's a pretty pathetic sign to the Ninevites. Okay, he's a bad prophet. He's a pathetic sign. And they repented. This generation is wicked and they won't repent, even though Jesus has been a good sign to them. Then he says this about their seeking. The queen of Sheba, excuse me, the queen of the south, which is the queen of Sheba, by the way. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So this is that idea of seeking with some diligence. She was a queen in Africa, the queen of the south, and, and during the days of Solomon, she, the Bible tells us she went up to seek the wisdom of Solomon. That's seeking. That's really putting some effort into it. And these people have Jesus with them and they're like, eh, no big deal. Eh, we want more. You, you, you need to seek with that diligence like the Queen of Sheba did. Finally, he says this, and this is interesting again. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh are going to be in heaven. They weren't Jewish. They weren't God's chosen people. They just responded to the light that they were given. Now, the Bible tells us something interesting in Romans, Romans 1 and 2. It tells us that every person that has ever lived has been given an external evidence of God, and that's creation. And it reveals that there is a God, there's a God who created it. And he's given every man that's ever lived an internal evidence that God exists. Now, I'm not saying that an atheist who says, I don't believe in God, that they don't really not believe in God, because I think you can reject that evidence. But I believe that everyone does. Explain to a child God, and they will believe you when they look at creation. And it's there inside of us. God's placed that inside of everyone. 
And then the Bible teaches us that if we respond positively to that light, I'm suggesting that there, what about the person who's never heard? I'm suggesting that a person who's never heard, if they respond to the light that Jesus gave them, like these Ninevites did when Jonah went to them, if they respond to the light God gave them, that through Jesus, because there's no other way to be saved, they'll be judged on the light that they received because God judges us on our light. And, and, and again, there's an incredible amount of evidence for this. It's not just something that we as Christians try to come up with to make it easier to believe in Jesus. God hasn't created a person that he hasn't given some kind of revelation, external and internal, about God, which is pretty phenomenal and pretty amazing. And these Ninevites are going to rise up and judge that generation. I wonder if they'll judge our generation because our generation is the first generation to ever have access to the evidence. Not only access to be able to break down the Bible in, in, in complete ways, right down to the original languages and different manuscripts that are out there, but all the evidence that is available. It's pretty incredible. We can look at all. We can look it up. We can, we can begin our own research on it. And I wonder if the generation of Nineveh will stand up and condemn us as, an, as, a, as a generation because we have more light than anybody's ever had before. And I'm talking around the world. Literally, the internet has gone around the world. There are places that don't have banks, but they got the internet. They have cell phones. They don't have banks, but they have cell phones. It's just amazing. Cell phones have truly covered the world. All right, let's get to the last one. I'm running out of time. So the last one is how to have proper insight. They were seeing these miracles and they weren't, they weren't seeing the truth of them. They weren't seeing what they were revealing. And so Jesus says this, no one has lit a lamp or no one, when he lights a lamp, puts it in a secret place or places it under a basket. Now we immediately hear that and we think about where Jesus said, you are the light of the world and you don't light a light and put it under a basket. You're a city on a hill and a city on a hill can't be hidden. So he's talking, he's not talking about that here. This is an entirely different parable. He uses the same analogy to talk about something different, okay? So he says, you don't light a light and then hide it under a basket, but you put it out um, so that everybody can see it. And then verse 34, the lamp is the body of the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. When your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. This is another analogy. He's saying, if your eyes are good, then you can see what's in the room. If you have good eyes, you can look around here today and you can see. You can see the other people. You can see the empty chairs. You, you can see me. You can see the cameras. You can see. You just can see what's here. But if you have bad eyes and everything's just really blurry to you, if you're legally blind, you can see some, but you're legally blind, then you're certainly going to see less. You're going to look around the room and you just see blurriness. You might perceive something as one thing when it's another. If you have bad, bad eyes and you're blind, you can't see anything in the room. It's all here, but you can't see it. That's the analogy he's using. If your eyes are good, you see it. If your eyes are bad, you don't. And so your insight, he's going to tell you, if your insight is good, then you can see the evidence and go, yep, yep, you're going to put truth together. But if your insight is bad, you're going to go, give me another sign. I don't believe that. He's telling you to evaluate the evidence properly with the right insight. Listen to verse 35. Therefore, take heed to the light which is in you, or take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. 
you have the ability to be able to look at what's taking place around you and, and defer to the truth. Or you have the ability to reject it. To say that doesn't matter to me. That, does, that, that evidence, I, I won't even begin. It's supernatural. I can't accept supernatural evidence. You've got bad spiritual eyes. You can't see well if you won't even receive the evidence that's there. The whole category of evidence you say is not, is not evidence. You have, you, you have bad insight. He goes on to say, having no, uh, no part dark, the whole body will be full of light. Excuse me, let me go back and read this from the beginning correctly. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your body is full of light, having no part dark, your whole body will be full of light. And when it is bright and shining, as when the bright and shining of a lamp gives you light. All right, I got through it. Uh, so he's saying, it's just like when a lamp's shining and you're able to see when you have a good insight in your life. And so how's your insight? Are you open? How's your seeking? Are you diligent like the Queen of Sheba? Have you been given all of this evidence that we have in the incredible day in which we live? And, and, then, and then are you like, I don't want that. When the people of Nineveh just had some bad prophet who looked a little weird and they repented. And so that we would say, if Jesus gives us evidence, if God gives us evidence, what kind of eyes do you have to be able to see it? And maybe there's some of you here that have just rejected the evidence over and over again. And the Lord would speak to you today that you will one day stand in judgment. That's the whole, one day there's going to be judgment. Who will stand up and speak against you because they responded with much, much, much less light than what you had if you reject Jesus and don't start to follow him? Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. It is rich and incredible. We thank you that we see these misconceptions here and that we have them corrected. And we pray that we would have proper insight. We pray that we would seek you like the Queen of Sheba sought wisdom. We pray that, that we would understand when we hear your word and obey it, we are the ones who are more blessed than Mary was, who actually was able to raise you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few minutes. Uh, I'd like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here shortly. But if you're here today and you've never invited Christ into your life, you've never received him, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible is very clear. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being Growing up in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Being religious doesn't make you a Christian. Some will say to Jesus, we did miracles in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. You have to receive him. You have to be born again. He's knocking. He draws you. The Father draws you. And if you say, come into my life, then he'll come in. Now, some of you guys have never done that. And here lately, the Lord's been speaking to me specifically about those of you that are young that are here. That you would respond now while you're young. Because God's got a plan, a purpose, and a call on your life. And God wants you to respond. And some of you guys haven't responded because you want to live your own life. You don't want to give your life to God. But Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll save it. Some of you guys have made commitments in the past, but you didn't follow through. Or, or you did for a while, but you walked away and you know you need to come back. And Jesus said, I'll leave the 99. I'll go after the one. There's no one in here who's walked away from God that can't return to him today. 
So if you would like to give your life to Christ, then I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now. Lift up high so I can see it. I'd like to take time to acknowledge your hand and pray for you. God bless you guys back over here, all the way in the corner. God bless you, sir, up in the balcony. That's great. Just raise your hand. Again, lift it up high so I can see it. I'd like to take time to pray for you, with you. You're just saying, I want you in my life. You're being born again. Your spirit is being brought to life. Just raise your hand high. God bless you, sir, right by the aisle. God bless you, sir, in the back. God bless you. There, ma'am. That's great. God bless you under the balcony. That's awesome. Anyone else? Just lift your hand up. God's doing a work in saving souls, causing people to be regenerated here today. You are, your spirit is being brought back to life. You are being born not of the will of man or the will of flesh, the Bible says, but of the will of God. God's got a plan, a purpose, a call. All right, you can put your hands down. And if I didn't see your hand and acknowledge it, God saw it, okay? If you're online, I want you to pray this prayer as well. But I would like, if you gave your life to Christ, I'd like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Very excited for you. Now listen, you could raise your hand and you could pray that prayer and you could walk out of here and have nothing change. If you're serious and you've really committed your life to Christ, you'll be transformed. And we want to give you, there's a new believers table along the wall. I would like to encourage anybody that raised their hand and anybody that prayed that prayer in a minute to go over and talk to them. We want to give you a Bible. Right now, your spirit has been quickened. You got a little baby spirit. <laughs> and it needs the milk and the meat of God's word to grow. And if you walked away, you knew God and you walked away from him, your spirit was quickened back then, but it's anemic now. Your spirit is pretty much just not any influence on your life at all because you've been feeding your flesh all this time and never your spirit. So pick up the Bible, the New Believers Packet. It just helps you to know, what do I do now? Because there are a lot of people that make commitments in church and then walk out and never follow through on the commitment. The commitment is needed, but the follow through is needed as well. You could also, if you just got to go, you can't stay, you can't talk to them, then you could send us an email to saved at calvertucson.com. Tell us your story. And we'll have people who will respond to that email and just help you out with what you need and get you the stuff you need. You could also send us a text, ready for Jesus to 94,000. You're going to get back a link. That's our new believers card. Click on that link, fill that out, and we'll have people who will, again, respond to you through the information that you give us in the new believers card. We just want to help you any way that we can.